We have two passages this morning. We're going to look briefly at Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to leapfrog into the New Testament and look at Luke 1, and we'll read verses 26 through 38. So in the month of December, we're going to move away from the book of Romans, but we're not going to move too far from Romans. You'll hear enough that will sound like rumblings and resemblances of the book of Romans, but you'll see how it will all fit together as we go this morning. Young Christians, young theologians, there are a couple of things for you to listen for this morning, and the first question I have for you is, what is the difference between the two women we'll hear about this morning? There's only one difference between them. What's the difference between these two women? And then the second question for you to think about. You won't hear this. I won't say it, but you can think about this. I'm sure you can find it if you think hard enough. All week in the long journey as we've been doing our family worship, we've been looking at the Annunciation, Gabriel coming from heaven to visit Mary. Gabriel makes the long journey, but actually Mary makes the longest journey even though she never leaves her room. What's her journey? Where does she go? Where does Mary have to travel, even though she never leaves the room? This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus from Genesis, and then from the gospel of Luke the Evangelist. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And now Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. 
And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Pray with me. And now, O Lord, we need to hear you speak to us the word of life, the word of good news. Just as the Father has perfectly uttered that word from eternity, and the Holy Spirit stirs that word within our hearts, within our souls, and just as Jesus has perfectly made that word his own flesh, now we need you to speak the word of life and salvation and hope and comfort and peace to us again this morning. So do it from Genesis and from Luke. Your word, which speaks the same to us in every book, speak to us that word of life. And we will give you thanks. We ask it in the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This summer, while we were at the beach, I was floating in the surf with a group of kids. My kids, some other kids that we had met at the beach. And we linked ourselves together in a huge flotilla of inner tubes and limbs and bodies. And we were pushed around by the waves and carried wherever the tide wanted to take us. And we floated up to two men who were surf casting. They were standing in water chest deep and they had big rigs to catch big fish. And one of the men had a stringer with fish threaded on it and it was tied to his ankle and it was bobbing just beneath the surface on the undercurrent. And I thought to myself, is that really a good idea? I've seen Shark Week. I'm not so sure that's really a good idea. Tied to a stringer of struggling, dying fish seems like an open invitation to deep water predators you don't want to meet in the shallows or anywhere. And the more I thought about it, the more nervous I got with little legs and feet dangling through the holes of inflatable donuts, easily mistaken for an underwater meal. So without saying anything to the kids, I paddled my giggling pieces of bait to another part of the ocean. We weren't safe, but maybe we were safer. What you have to understand is that the glory of God the perfection and the holiness and the wonder and the goodness of God, active and free-ranging in the world, freely operative in the world, is like chumming the waters for the spoiler. 
Satan will always come and attack glory by working sin. But it works the other way too. Wherever there is brokenness and darkness in the world, wherever there are hearts gone wrong and creation fallen and needing redemption, it's like blood in the water enticing grace and glory to come and take their fill. And that's the dynamic that we want to talk about all through the month of December. The incarnation is the undoing of Eden. The incarnation is important for us. It's the festival of celebration because it's the undoing of the ruin of Eden. Sin wants to devour glory. But the good news is, higher up the food chain, higher up the cosmic food chain, grace and glory are gulping sin. So the story begins with a woman in a garden. And she was perfect. And so were her surroundings. And people like to criticize and say that the garden was a setup. And it was, that's true. But here's where they get it wrong. It was not a setup for failure. It was a setup for success. A perfect God who formed a perfect creation and set it in perfect order under His perfect Word. Whatever you resent the world for not being, whatever in your sense of justice you think the world should be, This was an unthinkable amplification of that. It couldn't have been any better for the woman and her man and their God. And that's why the spoiler came. He loves to take what's God's. He loves to degrade the perfect. He loves to twist and mangle God's Word. So the snake appears in a tree and the woman listens to him. The woman listens to the serpent over her God and she listens to her own reason over the Word of her God. And her disbelief of God's Word, her internal commentary says, maybe it isn't as God has said even though everything else has been exactly as God has said, even though creation itself is as God has said. But she never stopped to ask, so why not this too? And her disbelief was born and came to life in her, and she took the fruit and she ate it. I was sitting in the airport with my daughter and we were waiting to catch our plane. And she said to me, Daddy, I'm hungry. And I said, what do you want? We were sitting in a nice terminal full of restaurants and food kiosks and she surveyed the landscape and immediately she had her answer. She turned back to me and with conviction in her eyes, she said, junk. I'm hungry for junk. And that's Eve's sin. I'm hungry, but let's be clear. I'm hungry for junk. 
I want my own words and the words of a serpent and the words of my pandering husband more than I want the strong, truthful words of God that are so good they won't bend or budge for anyone. And that's where all sin starts. All sin starts right here. Not just in the act and not just in the ancestor, in the woman acting for us all but in the suspicion behind it. All our sin starts out as an argument with the Word of God. Maybe, maybe it isn't as God has said. No, no, it definitely can't be as God has said. And you know the end of the story. Life without the Word of God is a living hell. The woman and her husband, and their children, and their descendants, and all of creation fell. Taken away from the Word of God, everything falls to ruin. Life apart from the Word of God is nothing short of living hell. But the story picks up again thousands of years later in Nazareth when a young virgin named Mary is visited by an angel. And Paul says in Romans 5 that Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is what Adam was supposed to be. Jesus is Adam who obeyed. So we're going to steal Paul's line of thinking and we're going to apply it to these two stories. Mary is the second Eve. Mary is everything Eve should have been. Mary is Eve who believed. And look at how loving it is that since sin entered the world through a woman, God allows in His mercy that the good news, Christmas, should come into the world through a woman too. In fact, the late English writer Alice Thomas Ellis was asked by an interviewer, what is the greatest moment in women's history? And without hesitating, Ellis answered, the Annunciation, of course. Gabriel's coming to Mary and telling Mary that the Word of God, the Gospel of God, was coming into the world through her. But it's actually an important moment for all of us because the Annunciation insists that the Word of God is faithful and that the Word of God is good and it's never stopped being faithful and good. And in the Annunciation, Mary agrees with the angel and the icy disbelief of Eve melts away like the snow. And you know how the story ends. Salvation breaks into hell. So here's this virgin, all of 15 years old, and she's shut up in her bedroom, hanging posters on the wall, wondering how her life will change since she's betrothed to Joseph the carpenter, although she doesn't know the half of it. She can't even begin to imagine what's about to come. Or maybe she's in her room not dreading her wedding, not fearful of this arranged betrothal and marriage. Maybe she's dreaming of it. 
picking out colors for her bridesmaids' dresses, choosing what flowers she wants in her bouquet, dreaming of cake, and suddenly she's not alone. She feels him there before she sees him. It's a good thing that we have never seen the angels because according to the testimonies of most of the scriptures, it's not a pleasant encounter. It's overwhelming, so otherworldly shocking that you'd draw back and scream if it weren't for the fact that the wind has already been knocked out of you just by the presence of that one. Years ago, my friend the painter John Marshall was asked to paint some pieces and enter them into a show that was being hosted in an art gallery in Manhattan. And the subject was angels. He showed me pictures of some of the entries. Strange beings, they were cloaked and hooded, muscled and armored. Winged beings, but not like anything you or I have ever seen. And that's probably where the artists got it right. Because the angels don't look like Victorian women. They're not soft and delicate and refined. The angel, in this case, has to say to Mary, Don't be afraid, because Mary was. She was terrified at his presence there. And I'm not sure she felt any better once the angel started in with his message. Verse 29 says, She was greatly troubled. Even though the greeting was hopeful, you are the favored one, Mary. The Lord is with you. And so Mary asks, I'm favored how? The Lord is with me in exactly what way? What has He chosen me for? The angel says, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son. And His name will be Jesus. You'll call Him the saving one, and he'll be great, powerful. He'll be known as son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him David's throne. He'll be the new David, the triumphant conquering king, just like David, better than David. He'll reign over God's chosen people forever, and his kingdom will be endless. Which sounds great to us, but that's not exactly what a 15-year-old Jewish bride-to-be dreams of. Not at all what she wants to hear. And it takes some convincing. But at the end of the passage, Mary believes, which really means she puts her life under this word. She subscribed her life to this word. And in verse 38, Mary says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to this word from God that you've carried to me. Which is good news for us because Mary's hearing and believing is our hearing and believing. The Annunciation is important because it's God's word demanding to be heard. Not demanding in the same way that a tantrum is demanding. But demanding because it's good for us. This is the insistence that comes from love. Sometimes at our house we have these property disputes. From another room, you hear this plaintive cry, That's mine! 
And then there's all this other emotion and drama that sort of erupts behind it. And children are fighting over something that each one stakes a claim to. So I wade into it to try to sort it all out. I try to help my children understand who are convinced that they're being looted and pillaged of every good thing in the world if I can't have this one thing. And so I say to them, listen, the way you're responding would make sense if you lived in an orphanage. The way you're acting would make sense if you were an orphan and there wasn't really anybody to care for you and to love you and you had to take whatever you needed, by your own devices. But that's not true of you. You live in a family and you are loved. And I insistently tell them this. And that's why the Annunciation is good news. It's God's word demanding to be heard because of what it asserts. You are loved. You are loved. Why else would the word of God proclaim itself in a birth? Why else would the Word of God proclaim itself by wearing infant flesh? Because the Word insists your God loves you to new birth. After a long absence, the pleasures of God are born in us again. Why else would the Word of God proclaim itself by hanging on a cross? Because He has determined to love you with forgiveness perfectly pleaded and justice entirely satisfied and silenced and guilt fully remitted and the impossible sacrifice made once for all. Why else would the Word of God proclaim itself By rising from the dead. Because God has determined to love you by unburying you from unbelief. So for our faith, His Word refuses to be sealed up in deadness of unbelief. And it bursts forth from the teeth of the tomb into our hearts like the Hallelujah Chorus. But to reject His Word is to reject His love. And that was the insult of the woman and the man in the garden. They called His love undeveloped. His his perfect love was called by the man and the woman primitive, wanting, unimpressive. And that's why Mary's receptivity is so Beautiful and so thrilling in it, she's saying, I'm a little frightened. No, I'm a lot frightened by your word. But let your word be done with me. Let your word be done to me. Your word is your love to your people. So satisfy me and satisfy us with your love in your word. And that's why the Annunciation makes the Word of God believable again, even though it isn't easy. Please, whatever else you expect of the Word of God, don't expect it to be easy. It wasn't easy for Eve. Having to wait for God to open her eyes with His Word, instead of prying them open on her own, 
waiting to be made wise by believing the Word of God instead of trying to make herself wise. Knowing by the Word of God instead of knowing apart from the Word. And the Word wasn't easy for Mary either. She argued a bit in the passage. How will this be, she asked the angel. I'm a virgin, but the thing to understand here is she was arguing her circumstances, not the Word's truthfulness. She was arguing for her own understanding, not arguing against the Word's authority. God never frowns on our cries of weakness. I don't understand. Please help me understand. And the angel answered her, nothing is impossible for God. And that was the end of it with Mary. It's very important. The Word isn't easy. But the Word Mary wrestled with is the same Word that answered her and it's the same Word that she believed. The Annunciation makes the Word of God believable to us again even though it's not convenient Whatever else you believe about the Word of God, please don't make the mistake of thinking that it's convenient. The Word of God interrupted the way Eve wanted to see herself. Wanted to see herself as her own goddess. Wanted to see herself of an equal authority to God. And in Mary's case, it completely upended her plans. She was anticipating a nice Nazarene wedding with all her friends there. All her family would come into town for it. All of her neighbors would be gathered for the celebration. She'd start a new life with Joseph. And then the Word of God comes to her. It enters into her life. And now she's a mother before she's a wife. And for the rest of her life, She was the subject of rumor and scandal. The misunderstood mother of the misunderstood holy child. That's not at all what she had imagined for herself. And the only thing that saves her is that none of it is misunderstood to God. But we shouldn't expect His Word to be convenient. It doesn't fit into our arrangements. We keep trying to take the Word of God and fit it neatly into our daily arrangements to embellish our daily arrangements a little bit, to make our daily arrangements move just that much more smoothly. But most of the time, the Word of God blows our arrangements into gracious little bits. The Word of God was inconvenient for Eve because it stood in her way. Don't try to do this your way. Your way brings judgment and death and pain and suffering and misery. The Word of God was inconvenient for Mary because it moved in and it took her over. It took her body, her emotions, her thoughts, her time, her routine, her future... That's not convenient, but somehow it feels right. Somehow it feels right that the whole person is to be consumed by the Word of God, filled with it, owned by it, changed at it. 
The annunciation is the good news that allows us to say, believing just like Mary, let it be to me according to your word. And it's all tucked into the angel's greeting. Hello, favored one. The Lord is with you. The angel even repeats it for emphasis. Mary, you have found favor with God. What favor? His word. He's speaking to you, Mary. From love, He speaks to you. He speaks into you. Now His love will speak through you in the birth of your Son, who is His living Word. More than anything else, that's what's missing in our understanding of God's Word. It is His favor and His love to us. With His Word, God created whole worlds to be filled up with our enjoyment of Him. Not the anemic faith that we're used to. Not the mumbled professions of faith that we trip over. Not the sleepy, half-hearted cries of praise that we lift up. But whole worlds made to be filled with your unbridled enjoyment of Him. With His Word, He decreed your salvation. It was His idea. He ordered it. He demanded it. With His Word, He declares you justified in the righteousness of Jesus. There is no guilt to indict you anymore. There are no charges standing against you anymore because of the work of Christ. With His Word, He pursued you in the body of a Messiah. With His Word, He whispers jealous acceptance of us as it blows through us on the breath of the Spirit. With His Word, He calls out to us over the voices of all our enemies and says, come away from that sinful thing. The love of God is not in that thing. He calls out to us over the voices of every enemy and says to us, peace. That's what your God has given to you. Peace. And with His Word, He speaks to us the promise of Christmas. No longer God against us. God with us. Mary believed the Word and said, Let it be done with me as hard as it is, as inconvenient as it is, because God's Word is His salvation to me and to others, to my family, to my friends, to people I haven't even met. He saves us and loves us with His Word. So let His Word be done with me. Let me hear and believe and submit. And the angel departed from her. And the Spirit descended on her. And the Word of God filled her so that the Word of God could fill us. And here's what I want you to do all month. If you want to do it beyond the end of the month, all the better. But at least for this month, I want you to pray with Mary. Let your word be done to me. Let it be to me according to your word. Undo Eden in me. And I can promise you this. When Eve in the garden said to herself, more than to the serpent, no, it can't be as God has said. She never felt more dead. And I can promise you this too. When Mary in her bedroom 
said to herself, more than to the angel, let it be to me according to your word. She never felt more alive. And neither will you. Skeptics, what unfailing word do you have in your life? Unfailing means that it's never been wrong. It's never gone wrong. What unfailing word speaks to you with love? What word is there for you to live unfailingly by? Do you have one? You don't have one. Jesus came to be that word. He came to be that word for you. So, say what Mary has said in this passage. Let it be to me according to your word. And see if he gives you faith. A friend of mine reminded me of a story. We were in college and this classmate was sitting on the porch of the campus house. He and a group of guys had rented. And a professor was strolling by on his way home after the day's last class had let out. He was a beloved professor at our college. He taught Christian thought and evangelism. Kind of a wild-eyed, silver-bearded prophet of a man. He always looked to me like he'd just been struck by lightning. So he was alive in a way that most of the rest of us weren't. And he stopped on the sidewalk and he called out to the students sitting on the porch... And he said, young man, do you want to be a yuppie? Which is a strange greeting if you think about it. Do you want to be a young, upwardly mobile professional? And the student was taken aback by it. Who wouldn't be? But he gathered himself enough to answer, no, professor, I really don't. And the professor said, good. I hear all these people who say the Lord needs yuppies too, but I've been thinking, probably has enough of them by now. (laughs) Don't you think? And he finished his walk home, still smoldering from the lightning strike, I'm sure. What do you want to be when you grow up? A yuppie? Middle class? Comfortable, a consumer, which is really just another way to say self-consumed. Do you want to be self-consumed? Is that all there is? Is there nothing more? What do you want to be when you grow up, Mary? Do you want to be status quo? Do you want to be normal? Bourgeois? I did. Not anymore. What then? What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be filled with God's word. I want to know his love and his favor in his spoken word and in his incarnate word. I want to be filled with the word that leaves room in me only for more of itself. And what do you want to be when you grow up, church? Let me answer for you. You want to be a church that says, let it be to us according to your word. And you will never feel more alive. Oh Lord Jesus, fill us with 
your word. Again, the word the Father has spoken, the word that you have worn perfectly in your flesh, the word that the Spirit continually, unfailingly testifies to within us. Fill us with your word and let it be to us only according to the word of the living God. We pray that you'll speak your word against our sin. Our sin is awful. Every day, we relive Eve's encounter in the garden. Stopped for moments throughout the day having to ask ourselves, did God really say? Is it really as he has said? We ask you to let it be to us according to your word and that you will give to us the faith that stirs up with Mary in order to believe. By his word, God loves and favors us and gives to us his salvation. Give us more of the fruit of the gospel in our lives. Take away the effects of our unbelief and give to us more fruit of faith and faithfulness, perseverance. Give to us hope and joy and peace and certainty that not all things make sense to us, but all things are understood to our God who is loving and sovereign. And in this faith, help us to live and move against our doubt and our disbelief and the personal darknesses that we drag into ourselves. Let the light of the word of Jesus the Savior shine in our hearts and drive out all of our darkness. Now, O Lord, fill us with your word again, this time not the spoken word, but the word in bread and wine. And testify to our hearts that the love of God has not been shorthanded. It has left nothing undone. The love of God has been given to us fully in the grace that has come in Jesus. Allow us to eat and drink, confessing our sins and believing with faith and joy anew. Give to us strength this week as we oppose our own sin and the sins of the world and the attacks of the evil one, the spoiler. And give to us in our weakness an abiding sense of the strength that is ours from God through Christ and continually supplied by the Spirit. If you'll do all of these things, again, we will give you thanks. We ask it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.